Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. We are finally back. We've taken a, a little bit of an off-season break like all the other teams do and the NBA does for that matter um, throughout August. Um, it's currently um, Monday, September 3rd. Um, you'll be hearing this on September 4th. And we are kicking off our division previews for the 2018-2019 NBA season. We're going to start with the Atlantic. We'll do uh, a division per episode, just diving into the teams, analyzing some storylines, analyzing their offseason, predicting their over-under, um, just getting in-depth on these teams. And we'll be running this series throughout the next couple of weeks as teams you know, start training camp and then obviously preseason basketball gets underway in less than four weeks, Corbin. Just oh. less than four weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for it, man. I'm telling you, this is our this is our training camp in my eyes right now. Just getting geared up, you know, warmed up, ready for everything to kick off. So this this preview right here is the start of a new season, man. It's it's happening. There's no slowing down from here. Exactly. It's starting to. Uh, it's time to get things rolling. Um, and what better way to do that than with the offseason or the division previews, I should say. Um, so let's start with the Atlantic. We're just going to go in alphabetical order to keep things easy. Um, and that obviously means the Boston Celtics are first. So in the offseason, the main moves that the Celtics did, they didn't do much, but they re-signed Aaron Baines, they re-signed Marcus Smart, and they drafted Robert Williams. Those are the three main moves that will potentially impact them on the floor in the upcoming season. Um, pretty straightforward offseason for a team that really was all about health. Um, so, of course, one of the first storylines is getting Gordon Hayward back, who missed basically the entire season, and getting Kyrie Irving back. Um, Irving, who missed, I think, like 20 or so games in the regular season, and then, of course, missed all of the playoffs. Um, the key thing here, I think, is that, you know, it, it happens to anyone who gets hurt and misses basically an entire season, but Gordon Hayward is really, really good. Um, you know, he was an all-star the year before he signed with the Celtics. Um, and if they get a player like that, if he can play at that level, adding that to guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who, you know, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, in my opinion, that Hayward went down because those two young guards, or young wings, I should say, got a lot more responsibility, a higher usage, um, obviously got to be featured players in the playoffs without Kyrie um, handling the ball and, you know, putting up points for the, for the Celtics. So I thought that was a good development for them. Um, but now they add Gordon Hayward back, an all-star level talent to those young guys who are still developing. Kyrie, of course, hopefully he can stay healthy um, and play like he did to start the season like he did last year. But really, you know, you look at this team, and, and the depth is just incredible. I mean, you got Kyrie, Terry Rozier really showed out in the playoffs, and if he continues playing like that and is in a little bit of a smaller role, I think he's going to get a big payday um, in the summer of 2019 when he's a restricted free agent. Um, at the two guard, you can start Jalen Brown. You have Marcus Smart behind him. That's extremely high-quality depth there. Gordon Harris starting at small forward. Um, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, um, you know, could play power forward, could play small forward, could even play a little bit of shooting guard if you want to get, go big. Of course, Al Horford and Aaron Baines um, at center. There's just so much depth. I didn't even mention Robert Williams, Daniel Tice, um, Ojale, who could you know give you a couple minutes here or there. There's so much depth, but there's also that high-end, top-level talent that I think people might be forgetting on, when, specifically when it comes to Gordon Hayward. Oh, most definitely. I think people underrated his last season with the Jazz. Um, obviously, you already mentioned All-Star, but 21 points a game, um, 47% field goal percentage a shade under 40 percent from three with about just just under six rebounds and and four assists a game almost it's he's a very efficient player a great i don't want to say plug piece because i almost feel that's i don't want to say disrespectful but it kind of just the is also a player and to only play uh what i think it was four minutes of of that one game he played uh, last year i don't know if i'm getting that right it was five minutes but yeah. 
Five minutes. Okay, see, but he's basically for the Celtics. I mean, he went through training camp and everything there, but he's basically an off-season addition because of how little he played and having him back in a significant role along with Kyrie. And you already said this team is stacked with depth. Um, these guys were a game away from the NBA Finals, and this was without their top two leading scorers in Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. And like you said, Gordon Hayward, we're really underselling the fact that he's just a very – very good small forward in the NBA. He's going to be great in the East as far as getting a chance now at healthy, still in his prime at 28, to really make an impact moving forward with the Celtics. Yeah, and the, the great thing about Hayward, and specifically with this team, but just him as a player, is his ability mm-hmm. to fit in in a, almost any area. I mean, he can play off the ball as an elite shooter. He shot 40% um, on f- over five attempts in the 16-17 season. He can handle the ball. He's averaged consistently over three and a half assists, um, even upwards of over five assists per, you know, in previous seasons of his career. Obviously, he can score averaging um, 22 points per game in the 16-17 season. He can give you a couple rebounds. Defensively, he's no joke. I mean, he's not going to be like, you know, ever when you know talk about Gordon Hayward as that lockdown guy, but he's no pushover. He's not a liability on the defensive end. Um, and, of course, even if he was a liability, which, again, he isn't, the Celtics have shown that they can really build elite defenses around liabilities like they did around Kyrie last year who you know Kyrie was better defensively last year um throughout the beginning of the season uh, but he's not going to be good um anytime soon but they still had an elite defense so the fact that he can contribute off the ball on the ball they can stagger him um I think they should stagger him and Kyrie they can stagger him with with Tatum and Brown and Morris and Horford there's so many possibilities with the depth on this team um Mm -hmm. and it's not one of those teams like that we'll get to the next team the Brooklyn Nets that has a lot of depth but not that high-end level talent to really win a lot of games this team has the high-level talent in Kyrie, Hayward, and Horford, um, and then it has the kind of supporting depth, uh, Brown, Tatum, Rozier, Smart, again, Brown and Tatum, guys who project to be that high-level talent in the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, that's another storyline is, is the development of the young players, and specifically looking at Brown, Tatum, and Rozier. You know, Rozier we saw in the playoffs with, you know, his big role. He played over 36 minutes per game in the playoffs. He averaged 16.5 points. 5.7 assists and 5.3 rebounds. His shot was, you know, you know, he wasn't very efficient scoring the ball, but I mean, defensively he can be a pesk. Offensively, he's shown the ball to playmake a little bit. He can obviously score. I mean, he torched Eric Bledsoe in that first round series, and you know, Bledsoe, oh Bledsoe was a lost cause in that series for the most part, which was very disappointing to see. But Rozier played really well in that series, which um, I think people might not be crediting him enough for that kind of play. So. He's going to take a step back, of course, with Kyrie back and, you know, he restricted free agent in 2019. So how does he do in the smaller minutes load and how do teams really project him to be a featured guard? And they, and they saw it, you know, teams that are looking to sign a point guard in the summer of 2019. Um, if they had doubts about Rozier being a featured guy, um, they should have been quieted last year in the playoffs. So looking at Rozier, looking at Brown and Tatum, how much you know, responsibility and usage and, and go-to options are they now that, that Hayward's back and then Kyrie as well? Um, because obviously when when Kyrie and Hayward are both playing, you know, when it comes down to crunch time offense, the first option is probably Kyrie, the second option is probably Hayward, and then the third option could be one of Tatum. It's probably Tatum, but um, could be Tatum, Brown, or Horford. So I want to see how the development of the young players continues and see if potentially adding Hayward and Kyrie back not necessarily staggers it, but just slows down that development uh, because, you know, Tatum and Brown showed a lot, showed, showed rapid development last season. So I want to see if that will continue despite their smaller roles and potentially most likely smaller usages. Exactly. And that's actually another sneaky storyline for me. You already mentioned the development of the Boston young young players in general, but also, and, and this is in a lesser extent with Marcus Morris, but with Terry Rozier, with Marcus Morris having contracts 
to really play for this year moving forward? How will they react with their decreased minutes, with the arrival of Gordon Hayward possibly pushing Marcus Morris back to that backup role where he he really excelled this past season in, in startup spots coming off the bench, but now his role will obviously be decreased. How will he react to that, especially being a free agent next year? You already mentioned Terry Rozier being a, a restricted free agent. He had a, a great playoff series, um, like you said, a little bit inefficient, but a really strong uh, campaign. How will he react to less time? Because Kyrie, you know, barring health, will be getting the majority of the run there. So that's another one to look look into. Jalen Brown had a really strong playoff run as well. Jason Tatum obviously just broke out in his rookie year as far as the level of play and how poised and composed he was. They will be taking steps back. I think the only problem, the only thing that I would have a problem with chemistry-wise, they all seem to be very good guys, and they said all the right things in the media, and, you know, it's obviously been a hot topic for Boston. Oh, what are they going to do now that, you know, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie are back? But they weren't expected to be this good this fast. I don't think anyone saw... Jason Tatum just exploding like he did. Jalen Brown already had some flashes, but he was really strong. And same with Terry Rozier, who went from just being a kind of gunner, to which he still is, but also a little bit more floor spacing, a little bit more in control of the game from a floor general point of view. Just unexpected breakout. So now you have them kind of have their way, lead them to where they are. And as as um, as a team, now they're going to have to look back and go, okay, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to rein it in a little bit to really fit around as complementary pieces to, you know, the big dogs who've been injured. We already mentioned them. So my thing is this. Do you think that it's going to be a major adjustment? Maybe not at the beginning because obviously they're buying in and saying the right things. But let's say middle of the year where they're like, okay, you know, I was doing this before. I I can take a little bit more of a role. You know, do you think that's going to be an issue as far as this team? I don't think there's any, um, like, wayward personality, so to speak. But, I mean, I would obviously think there's some tension when you had a really strong breakout role. But because of circumstances out of your control, you know, you're, you're going to be relegated to, to a minor role. Yeah, I mean, I think that I would have cons- – I, I think I would have those concerns more if it weren't the, these type of players that kind of haven't shown that tendency yet, um, especially guys like Jalen Brown. Um, and, and also, you know, if they had a different coach. I think Brad Stevens, you know, maybe besides Popovich um, and Kerr, um, Carlisle. And Carlisle, I think that you couldn't ask for a better coach to manage this situation. Um, and, you know, he just seems to get everyone to buy into their role. Uh, I think that's a key reason why they're able to, were able to be so successful without Hayward and Irving in the playoffs. Just getting these smaller guys to step up and believe in themselves, have the confidence. Um, now, of course, giving them that confidence, giving them that bigger role, you know, and then taking it away potentially this season, um, you know, could come back to bite them, especially maybe for a guy like Terry Rozier, who, you know, is a restricted free agent, like I've said a couple of times. And, you know, he got that taste of being the featured guy in the playoffs and was very successful doing that. Now in a smaller role, maybe he thinks that he won't have enough opportunities to play himself into a big contract. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think a team will still give him a nice payday just based on what they saw from him, um, both as a primary backup and as the starter in the playoffs. But, you know, his mindset personally could be something like that, like, oh, I really should be getting that 30 minutes per game to really pump up my stats and pump up my value as a hit restricted mm-hmm. free agency. So maybe that's one guy. He's, you know, he's 23, going to be turning 24. Maybe he is that guy that might be bothered by their roles. But I, I like that you brought it up because last year, you know, Jalen Brown, you know, 31 minutes a game. Tatum, 30 minutes a game. Smart played 30 minutes a game. Morris played 27. Rozier played 26. You know, do the minutes per game loads stay the same? And then also more, maybe more importantly, the usage percentage. I mean, Morris had a 23 usage percentage last year. 
I don't see that being the case because, you know, Gordon Hayward in that 16-17 season, his last year with the Jazz, was almost 28% usage. So you're going to have to fit in that high usage in the, alongside Kyrie, who was 31% last year. Um, Jalen Brown was 21.4. I was about to mention that, yeah. Ro- Rozier was 20.4. Tatum was actually only 19 Point five, which could stay the same. Uh, hopefully, you'd like to go to uh, to go up, but you know, again, Marcus Smart was nineteen point four. I mean, you know, there's going to be a question of where does where do the ball where do the shots go? Um, who has the ball in their hands? Um, the minutes load, the crunch time lineups. I mean, I think that their crunch time lineups pretty straightforward: Kyrie, Brown, Hayward, Tatum, and Horford. Um, but you know, it's about matchups. It's about who's hot. Um, so you know, overall, I don't I don't have the concerns of the personalities in the locker room being bothered by the smaller roles from the young players. I think Rozier would be the only player that could have that issue. But then again, again, as I said before, I think that Brad Stevens and the Celtics culture is probably one of, if not the best in the league, to manage all of these players, get them to buy into whatever role they are given throughout the season because, you know, they, they can show them that, listen, in the playoffs you might have to step up, you might have to step down, um, but all, all that matters is winning and they've been damn good at winning recently and they should be even better this year with LeBron out of the East and more development and a healthier team. Oh, yeah. And I think it's going to be fun when we start talking about who's going to be tops in the East, because I have an interesting uh, theory on this one. But, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm on the Church of Stevens. Yeah. I mean, and, and another reason to be high on the Celtics, obviously, besides the projected de- development of their young guys, getting Hayward and Irving back, is last year they had the best defense in the league, which should stay the same. I don't see any reason why that would decline, you know, maybe one or two spots, but they should certainly be a top three defense. But where they can really improve is the offense because they only ranked 18th last year. And obviously, as I mentioned, Hayward is a dynamic all-star level offensive player. Kyrie played, I think, like 60 games last year, so maybe hopefully they can get even more out of him last year. But adding a little bit more of Kyrie, development of the young players, and having a full season of Gordon Hayward, that means they should definitely jump offensively, potentially into the top 10. Um, And so... You know, that's another reason why they could take a huge step forward this year um, besides their defense and besides just being healthy. True, definitely. They're going to be a strong team to watch regardless, but you already mentioned a lot of good reasons why this could be their year to break through and possibly reach the NBA Finals. I mean, and, and it's funny because this could be their year to break through, and yet they still have the whole one of the best futures in the in the in the NBA with those 29 I mean they could have 2019 first coming from the Grizzlies, the Kings and maybe even the Clippers. I mean that is insane to have that with the young talent they have on the team with the star level talent in their prime right now like when you analyze team building and you sit in and you look at the 2018-2019 season and you look at the Celtics who are many are picking to make the NBA finals to have a team with the young talent that could project to be future all-stars and the first round picks that could get another potential all-star level talent in in those picks is absolutely incredible when you really think about it yeah over the last th- 4 to 5 years i think Danny Ainge obviously and i think i'm not the only one to to feel this way has been just the best GM in the NBA hands down because he's been able to keep you know, the Celtics rather competitive all through that time, varying levels of competitiveness while building for the future each and every time and making very shrewd moves with an eye ahead, even if that makes means making tough decisions like, you know, letting go of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in 2014, you know, parting ways with Isaiah Thomas on this previous season. So he's been able to make the right moves that not only set them up for right now, but also with an eye ahead. And as you said, we say breakthrough because they've been kind of right on the cusp for the last couple of seasons with LeBron just owning the East. But now, not only are they breaking through, but they could possibly just take a stranglehold on it, depending on what shakes up over the next two two couple of seasons. Well, I want to say next two seasons, depending on the rivals. I think that's a good shakeup period, personally. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics team can make the finals this year, and then they could become 
the Cavs teams, or basically they could become the LeBron of the East. Um, instead of LeBron, whatever team he's on making the finals, it could honestly be the Celtics making the finals for the foreseeable future. Obviously, I'm not going to predict that because things can change and there are other really good teams in the Eastern Conference. But, you know, if they hit on these picks or if they use these picks and a, play, a young player or two to add another young star, obviously Anthony Davis has been a rumor, but, you know, if the Pelicans keep winning, I don't think he'll be traded. But if they use the picks either in a trade or they hit on them um, and the young talent they already have, Tatum and Brown, Smart, continue to develop, I mean, with the prime talent they've got right now, the prime all-stars they've got in Kyrie, Hayward, and Horford, plus the young talent, you know, the Celtics could, you know, as you say, get a stranglehold and be that team that's either always in the conference finals or always in the finals from the Eastern Conference for, you know, the next couple of seasons if they if everything kind of pans out right for them and some of their competitors, you know, miss on a couple of moves or, or don't really build up enough um, talent. Exactly. I actually have a question for you here, just moving as far as the offseason moves they made. Um, this is concerning a certain... 27th overall pick, uh, Robert Williams III. Um, I want to get your thoughts on him. He's obviously a rim-running athletic center. I don't think Brad Stevens had the opportunity to coach a, a, a vertical athlete of that nature as far as the center's concerned. But, I mean, you've already kind of heard of the offseason antics, really didn't make much of a showing in, in the summer league, of course. So I want to I kind of get your thoughts on him because I'm kind of stuck on the fence for him. Yeah, and, th- and this, I think, comes back to the Celtics culture and organization as, as a key for Williams' development as a player. If he had gone to a more unstable organization, I would have been a lot more concerned. But he falls to 27, um, and, you know, at that point, it's kind of like with the Nuggets with Michael Porter Jr. In a, in, in a different way, where when you get to a player of that talent at that pick falling that far you just got to take a swing for it um and teams that can afford to do that like the nuggets can with porter and with the Celtics can with williams it made a lot of sense to draft him there but i agree that his talent is certainly interesting and tantalizing i mean basically in today's modern nba if you're not a center who plays a game like al horford or Nikola jokic or is just a dominant you know still post score who can, who can space the floor like a carl anthony towns or something like that you've got to fit that other mold of rim running and kind of defending the rim and being able to competently switch and move your feet on the perimeter. And, and Williams can do that. Um, and he's someone that the team doesn't really have on their roster currently. So, again, allowing him to develop, there's going to be no pressure on him to develop even in the next season or two. Um, but, you know, Al Horvath's getting up there in age. Aaron Baines is obviously a stopgap. But if he can develop and he can, you know, keep his head on right with the Celtics organization and Brad Stevens and, you know, a couple of solid veterans in the locker room should help, you know, should hopefully be able to do that with him. Um, I think it's a great pick and a, a player that can really fit this team um, and, you know, potentially be their center of the future or potentially just fit in as a nice, solid role player or, or backup or kind of six-man role uh, in terms of minutes, load, and usage. I mean, I'm not expecting him to be a star. I'm expecting him to be a solid contributor for throughout the majority of his career and, you know, potentially could be a starting center um, if his game develops and, you know, his game is perfectly fit for modern NBA at center. And I think that his their culture will hopefully allow him to stay on the floor, keep his head in the game um, both on and off the floor and, and become a solid contributor at the center position. Yeah, I definitely see, uh, and I, I don't want to just kind of randomly throw his name out, but Clint Capella comparisons to him. One, just his NBA body. It's, it's a chiseled 238. Like, he's, like, just stacked. 6'9", 7'5", wingspan. And he's recorded, what, 2.5 or 2.5 blocks over the past two seasons? Um, and, and just like Capella, he, he's great above the rim before. But this game, I think, directly dependent on on the people who create the shots for him. So it's good that the Celtics have multiple playmakers in Kyrie, in Rozier, in Gore Hayward from that forward spot. Great playmaking there. Um, to a lesser extent, a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown. Because he's going to be really dependent on them. But, yeah, I think, you know, if they unlock his potential, yeah, probably not a star, 
you know, like a carry a team guy, but definitely a strong piece moving forward. We just, I just don't know if this was a sign of things to come as far as the antics to be concerned. But you already mentioned it. With the team that he's on, you, you have the type of culture with Brad Stevens where you take that gamble and you see what happens. Exactly. So uh, before we wrap up with the Celtics, um, I'm going to kind of, I don't know if this is really kind of like a cheating or being kind of tacky with, <laughs> with the over-under pick, but I'm, their over-under is listed as 59 currently um, with a fresh batch of over-under numbers actually came in, come out um, a couple hours before we started recording. So I'm going to say that they push and just get a, 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 even 59 wins for the season. Oh, wow. I'm a pound one over. I'm going to say 60. All I'm, right. I'm just thinking it's the East. You know, like you said, I'm, I'm going to give him that one extra win just to price is right you. <laughs> I, I'm tempt, I, I was tempted to go over, um, and I'm pretty optimistic for a bunch of these teams in this uh, division. Um, uh-huh. But there's a team towards the end of this division that I think might be even better. But we'll, we'll wait for that, of course. Um, oh, yeah, they're looming. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to a team, like I mentioned earlier, that has a lot of depth. Um, but might not, you know, actually not might, but just doesn't have the star <laughs> level talent. But that's the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and just to re- just to recap their off season, um, some of their main moves: they signed Ed Davis, Shabazz Napier, both from the Blazers. They signed Trevion Graham. Um, they traded for Kenneth Reed and Jared Dudley. Um, basically, both kind of salary dumps. Um, they re-signed Joe Harris and they drafted Zazan Musa. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, the European <laughs> wing wing <laughs> score. <laughs> um, so really, I mean, as you can tell, they were very active this summer, and for the most part, I liked all of their moves. Um, again, this is kind of going back to all the praise that Sean Marks has, has got as a GM for kind of rebuilding on the fly without draft picks. Of course, this year is the first year they're actually going to have their draft pick, so it makes it kind of interesting that they signed a bunch of role players that can help them win games, um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But I like their moves, um, and this, again, a lot of this depth joins a team that has a lot of you know players that I really enjoy watching. Um, again, might not have the star upside, but definitely have solid starter upside. And, and some of the storylines that I'm looking at is, of course, the first one is, is the depth. I mean, I think that they have, you know, 10 to even 11 quality rotation players on this roster. When you look at their depth chart, I mean, Russell, Dinwiddie, and Napier um, at point guard obviously can play a little bit of two guard there as well. That's three quality, you know, players. Alan Crabb, Karis Levert, Trevion Graham um, could be listed at shooting guard. You got Damari Carroll, Joe Harris, maybe Musa plays a little bit this season in his rookie year. Hollis Jefferson, Ed Davis. I think Jared Dudley can give a lot more than he has in previous seasons in Phoenix. And then you look at Jared Allen and Kenneth Farid. I mean, did I just name off almost 12, you know, rotation player, rotation talent level players? I mean, that depth... That depth is a blessing in the disguise because you look at kind of maybe the point guard or backcourt crunch, you know, Russell, Dinwiddie, and Napier. I mean, I mean, Dinwiddie, when Russell missed a lot of the season last year, Dinwiddie came in and he played really well. 12.6 points per game, uh, 6.6, 6.6 assists, 3.2 rebounds. You know, his shot was pretty bad. His efficiency was pretty bad. But he was, you know, hitting clutch shots, running the offense, you know, posterizing players. I mean, no one, he, he came out of nowhere. Obviously, he finished in the top three of most improved player of the year for a reason. Um, how does his role change with D'Angelo Russell coming back? Russell only played 48 games last year. Um, again, he's still not very efficient, still struggles with kind of getting to the rim. And there's a lot of issues with D'Angelo Russell. But the depth, you know, throughout the entire roster can be an issue, but especially at, at the guard position, that point guard crunch or, you know, that backcourt crunch, um, it might make, like you said with the Celtics, might make a lot of players unhappy with their playing time and their role. I kind of feel the same way. There's a little bit of a crunch there as far as adequate NBA talent that stretches deep. And the fact that in um, a D'Angelo Russell and a Rondé House Jefferson, you have a stricter free agency coming up next year and you really want to kind of make an impact because both of them have 
signs of encouraging of encouraging signs. Your words, Corbin. Um, I like I like D'Angelo Russell's three point shooting. Um, I really do think that he can grow to be a capable above average lead guard. I think he's one now, but obviously a couple of echelons higher in my opinion. Rondell Jefferson's a great defender. Um, he can kind of switch a couple of positions on defense. Um, he finishes decent around the rim. Obviously, no jump shot there, and his offensive versatility is very limited. But I do think those two want to make uh, some some make their mark moving forward, so that they can have a pretty fruitful restricted free agency. Because right now, I mean, if they had let's say their their free agency this year instead of next year, it, it'd be understandably kind of tough. Um, I also, as you already mentioned with Spencer Dinwiddie, I'm really high on him. I like D'Angelo Russell over him just because, I mean, one, it's a Laker fan in there, too. I also like the fact that Russell's a little bit younger and I think has just a little bit more potential there. But Dinwiddie's only 25, and he did shine in the absence of both Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell, um, averaging 12.6 points and 3.2 rebounds per game. He was obviously one of the more efficient guards in the league. Well, it wasn't obvious, but you could tell watching and looking the numbers back it up. He averaged 6.6 assists per game and had the second-best assist-to-turnover ratio in the NBA. And this is among players who appeared in 50 or more games with a 4.0 ratio. And you could see some clutch shots. He hit, uh, I think, a big one against Detroit, um, a game-winner there. He hit a really big one against Cleveland over the season. He really had the the freedom to play and you could see his play back it up because he flourished in, in, a, in a major way really making his mark moving forward if not with the Brooklyn Nets with a, a team in the NBA as far as a very decent rotation guard for years to come yeah so really they, they I like that you mentioned that because they've got a bunch of decisions to make on their young players and as you mentioned Dinwiddie can still be grouped in that he's, he's kind of at that point where you stop talking about his potential and you start talking about you know him realizing who he is as a player and that's, that's a, a good <laughs> starting point guard caliber player. Um, Hollis Jefferson, you said D'Angelo Russell. You know, will they, I don't think they're going to offer him a, 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 an extension this fall, which they can. I think they're going to wait and see what happens with the restricted free agency. But they've got decisions to make on the young players. And obviously one of the primary ones is D'Angelo Russell. How will he play in a contract year, I think, is one of the other storylines that I'm watching because, you know, he puts up the numbers and he has those moments. I think that was that game where he hit like nine three-pointers or something and scored like 20 points in the first uh-huh. quarter. Um, he's got those those moments, but over the course of a season, and you look at the numbers underlying the traditional counting stats, and you look at the fact that he just hasn't been able to contribute to consistent winning. I mean, last year, the offense was one point per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor. Obviously not great when the offense is his calling card, but the defense was four, almost four points per 100 possessions worse, and that, that's where he really gets hurt is, is he's, he's a bad defender. Um, you know, it's the lateral movement. It's not. It's maybe the lack of a, a defensive awareness or instincts that kind of hold him back. Um, but if he's not going to be a positive offensive contributor and he's going to be pretty bad on, on the team's defense, it, it, it's, it gets tough to justify paying him potentially the money that he's looking for uh, in an extension or, you know, even if it's, if you're an outside team looking at his restricted free agent giving him an offer sheet, it, it's hard to justify paying him, you know, really good starter money if – on you know when it comes to winning and when it comes to the impact on the team overall besides his traditional personal statistics there really isn't much there so that, that's the really question is how will he play both his traditional county numbers but then really more importantly what is his impact on the team um, especially on wins and losses this season as he enters this contract year oh yeah and I, I still think he has superstar potential but as you mentioned there's a lot of holes there if we you know, consider the four factors that determine the wins. That's the shooting efficiency, that's turnovers, that's rebounds and free throws. You can clearly see the issues in Russell's game. Um, relative to an average point guard, he was above average as a rebounder, but pretty much below average everywhere else. 
And then if you look at the box score statistics, you see the below average in his ability to produce wins. And you already said um, that they were a minus a point per possession with him at the helm. So he just needs to kind of harness that all together. And there's some signs. I think he had – well, not signs. There's some encouraging words from him. <laughs> he had an interview where they – um where he was told that he feels or he said he feels at the best place he's ever been mentally physically you know all the right offseason talk so we really just got to wait for the game to back it up but he's in the perfect role right now for that to happen because this team it really doesn't have the high-end talent it's very deep but they really don't have one player who sticks out a lot of intriguing pieces a lot of interesting prospects adequate veteran players but no one that you could clearly say okay this is above the pack i mean right now who would you put as the best player in a brooklyn nets uniform as it is currently constructed, um, you know I'm I'm tempted to. I mean I think that last year it probably was Dinwiddie, but I think that this year it could be someone that I really want to talk about in Jared Allen. But oh, let's do it. <laughs> last year, I, last year before we get to that, I just have a quick point because um, really we've been talking about you know these young guys that they have extensions to come up with and decisions to make. But the other thing is that. They want to carve out that cap space to use because they think that they can finally be a free agency destination. You know, Brooklyn, teams on the rise, blah, blah, blah. If they want to do that, you know, it's very, very unlikely that we see them give any kind of contract offer extension for any of the young players in the fall. Um, And then it would also be interesting to see if a team comes in out of nowhere in restricted free agency and offers some of their guys um, deals, what their decisions are if they want to balance the cap space versus keeping their young guys. Because like you said, I don't think any of these guys really have that star high-level potential. Uh, I'm kind of out on Russell being a star. I think he can be a solid starter. Oh, you wound me. I'm a Debbie Downer here for your, for your, Russell, uh, you know, your Russell fan train. But I think he can be a solid starter. But I don't think that any of these young guys you know, have that star, number one, poten- number one guy on a winning team that's making the playoffs every year potential. And in that case, it looks like you're going to have to look at free agency to get one of those guys. So, again, that's balancing that cap space. But... Um, yeah, I think that this season Jared Allen could be their best. I mean, I'm all in on Jared Allen. I mean, he's going to be the starting center now. There's no one ahead of him. Um, when they traded for Dwight, I was a little bit concerned that maybe they would have kept Dwight around and, and kind of, you know, hurt, staggered Allen's development. But really, I think that Allen should be receiving 25, upwards of 30 minutes per game. Um, and, then, you know, last season you saw the numbers that he was able to put up in a smaller role. He played 20 minutes per game, 8.2 points, 5.4 rebounds, 1.2 blocks, um, solid efficiency, you know, he started shooting, he looks like he's going to start shooting threes, which would be great for his game, but, you know, per 36 minutes, and he's not going to play 36 minutes, but, you know, this is a good way to project him. I mean, 15 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks is certainly not out of the question for Jared Allen. I mean, even in, the, you know, in the traditional, not even the traditional stats, the advanced stats, he had a positive impact. I mean, 4.2 win shares for a rookie is really good. Um, he had a positive box plus minus, a positive uh, value over replacement player, an above average PER, um, a, a pretty good you know, elite true shooting percentage. Um, for a big man, he hits his free throws at almost 77%. That's huge. Um, you really can't foul him off the floor. You know, he doesn't really have that elite switching ability, which is a lot of centers need nowadays, but he can do a little bit more than, um, you know, guys like a Dwight Howard can do. Like Dwight Howard at this point in his career can has to stay in the paint and guard the pick and roll by dropping, but Allen can do a little bit more. I think he can switch onto some slower guards. Um, he has obviously the length and the wingspan and the athleticism to recover if he gets beat, um, but he showed a lot of serious rim protection abilities. He showed a couple of post moves he can continue developing. If he's, if he's able to develop a consistent three-point shot from the corner, that's huge for his offensive game and huge for the team overall because they can use more spacing, but I am all in on Jared Allen. Uh, I think he projects to be 
I think he could project to be their best player, um, you know, like three or four years from now. Um, and I think that starts this year with a bigger role and more usage and, and just getting more comfort in his second year. Oh, yeah. And, and one thing that is uh, that you could see from Jared Allen, if you look at the numbers and look at the way he's played from college back in Texas on, is that he does improve. I mean, he, he really worked toward his game. I think there's a great feature I read a couple couple months ago that kind of highlighted that. But, you know, in March, um, as far as his blocks, he just focused on that. His blocks per game were uh, kind of low. He picked it up. I think he had like two, 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 2.0 blocks, two blocks a game, basically, um, starting in March. And then in April, he put a career high five blocks against the Bucks. Then he did four again and four again. And that was once he started focusing on let me be, you know, one of the best rim protectors I can. And you can see just watching him play, and this is an example, but he has the makings of a really good, darn near dominant shot blocker. And although, you know, in this NBA now you have to do a little bit more, he he can do that. I think, as you already said, right now he can already switch on to smaller guards. Defensively, I think he has the potential just to be able to switch to them, period, which unlocks a whole new type of roster um roster construction for the Nets in the fact that they can roll out a small ball unit that can that they can play with a legit 6'11 center a la the Rockets of Clint Capella where he doesn't get played off the court you know he can get attacked a little but he can more than hold his, hold his own um, and we even saw as you said free throws he, you can't follow him I think he was shooting somewhere around 55% in Texas and I think he improved that from 55% to what 77% um, just this past year yep or the year, yeah so I mean he worked on that this summer, apparently, he's adding, as you already said, a three ball, but more muscle. Um, he's using a, he's been told to be sampling a Euro step to kind of focus on that, you know, when rolling to the rim. Just really focusing on his game. So you're right. If he's hitting corner threes, being more dynamic, um, an, off ball, an all ball defender, you know, coming in off the pick and roll with strength, with the, with the post play, with some different moves, you know, good footwork, high IQ. You build all that. Yeah, you're starting to sell me on that. But here's this. I'm going to go one further since I'm still not going to get let go of the D'Angelo Russell train. And I'm going to put a Stockton Malone, you know, modern comparison with Jared Allen and um, D'Angelo Russell. And the fact that they're two core pieces that are under 25. I think uh, D'Angelo Russell's 22, Jared Allen's 20. They both can grow together in that. You have some picks coming in. You have that flexibility. You could build around those two moving forward. I could be pretty bullish on that. Again, depending on how Russell plays this season because this is the year to swing the um, the superstar potential for me. But as you already mentioned, Jared Allen is that young piece right now who played really solid for Brooklyn. Yeah, again, if Russell you know takes a step up and actually you know besides putting up solid personal stats, if he can contribute to winning, um, and Allen continues developing like we all expect him to, then yeah, this could be that nice one-two punch at point guard and center. If Russell continues to struggle and continues to be kind of a net negative overall on the wins, um, or maybe Allen doesn't develop like we expect, you know, obviously sometimes when you put a lot of expectations on a player, um, sometimes they don't, they, they develop but not as quickly as we as we think or, or project them to, um, but again, if, if all works out for this duo, that could be their point guard center, you know, duo of the future, and then, you know, slotting in the wing positions around them, getting more shooting, maybe maybe getting more role players that fit better, maybe hitting on, on their first-round pick or, or maybe signing a nice player in, in free agency to build around. But I agree. that This this year will be interesting. One, I think the two main storylines, um, you know, or the three, I guess, the first one, how is Russell going to play in the contract year? I think the second one is Jared Allen's development um, because that's going to be important for this team. Um, and the third one is the depth and, and what that does to the rotation and the, and the players. But, you know, last year this team – wasn't good. I mean, they were 25th defensively and 21st offensively, but the thing is that they play hard, and, and really, when you look at the, the statistics, 
they're a poor man's version of the Rockets on offense. I mean, they shoot a lot of threes. They were second in the league in attempts, um, and they play at the sixth fastest pace. The Rockets last year played at a pretty slow pace because they were all about the isolation ball, but you know, previous installments of Mike D'Antoni teams have used a lot of pace, of course. So this team, they have the right makeup, and Kenny Atkinson is implementing the right system. It's just all about getting the players to perform in this system, and, and that's where I think that this team can take a little bit of a step up with a lot more depth and a lot more NBA rotation-level talent on this roster. So... You know, it, it's interesting that they finally have their first-round pick and they potentially added too much talent to hurt their draft pick when in a, in a year where they should probably not necessarily tank but should be focused on that pick. Um, but maybe they trade their veterans away that they got in the offseason for picks or younger players, and a perfect candidate would be Jamari Carroll. I mean, I think I could totally see a team that needs, you know, 3 and D wing um, – you know, trade for Kale in the last year of his contract, you know, maybe get, you know, two second round picks for him or maybe a protected first round pick or something like that throughout the and season. He re- oh, yeah, he repaired his value definitely this past season with Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, you know, he hit 37% of his threes and over five, basically five and a half attempts per game, 13 and a half points, 6.6 rebounds, two assists. He stayed healthy, um, played some solid defense. So, yes, that was a big for them last year that he replayed his value. And if he continued to play like that, um, you know, maybe they give him more minutes in the first couple of months to give teams more looks at him to, to trade for him. Um, yeah, <laughs> but the feature qu- him. Yeah, exactly. And, and you could do that with other guys. I mean, I'm not sure Dudley has much value, but a, a Farid. Maybe they just signed N. Davis and a team needs a backup big or someone for the playoffs, and they trade him away just right away. Or, or Trevion Graham or, or Shabazz Napier, all these guys that they signed to these one-year deals that are veterans for the, for the most part, um, they can use them as, as to get, you know, future picks or young players during the season. So I wouldn't count that out. And, you know, I was looking up their schedule just to see how things might unfold for them and it's pretty interesting because their their closing schedule is really really hard so they have a seven game road trip which is never easy obviously no, no matter the opponent and then they come home and they finish with um not all these games are at home but they finish with boston milwaukee toronto milwaukee indiana and miami uh so that's what they finish the schedule with after a seven-game road trip. So, you know, maybe at that point when they start the road trip, they just completely tank. Um, or maybe in this weekend Eastern Conference and everyone, you know, plays a little bit better than we expect, they're close enough to the playoff spot where they keep fighting. And they, maybe they want to look good for free agency uh, because obviously a lot of times teams that are looking to add someone using cap space want to win more games to look more appealing so they can say to free agents, hey, we won, we, we finished two games out of the playoffs. If you join us, we'll be a playoff team with all this young talent here. So I'm going to be interested to see at what kind of direction they take. Do they trade players in the, in the season and kind of go, you know, focus on the tank to get their value out of their first round pick? Or are they somehow close enough to a playoff spot where they keep fighting and try to, you know, attract free agents that way and have a worse first round pick the first year they've had it for, I don't know, four or five years. So that's yeah, an really interesting storyline. It really is. I was going to say, I want to add that as well. Free agency of next year. Um, a little sh- a little plug here, not really a self plug, but on the 94 Feet Report, we've had a really good collection of off-season reviews. Um, and for the Brooklyn Nets, Josh Cornelison really did a, a really comprehensive breakdown of all the moves that Sean Marks made um, to really clear cap space for this upcoming season. I'm not really going to go into them. It's, it's a lot, and I don't want to get confused and confuse others here. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Jeremy Lin and Isaiah Whitehead, they turned that into Jared Dudley, Kenneth Freed, and $16 million more in cap room next summer. And that's with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Jimmy Butler, um, a whole bunch of other players that are, are really good and could really be a, a centerpiece for the franchise becoming free agents. And so that type of movement there to set up 
to set up being players in free agency is a storyline to keep track of. And how Rondé Hollis Jefferson plays and how D'Angelo Russell plays, you already mentioned, can really tie into that. Because, hey, are these players that we can say, okay, we're going to build around moving forward as, from Brooklyn's perspective? Or are we going to say, you know what, they played well, but we really see the holes. They haven't really developed them. We're going to move on. We've recently found all of this cap space from moves that we've made. We have a first-round pick coming. Let's just start the new era of Brooklyn ball with, you know, free agent X, um, draft pick Y, and go from there. So I really think that's interesting. It's, it's not really a storyline as far as applicable to this season, but it is one to think about going into next year. Yeah, this is a team that has to balance two directions of – focusing more on the draft and their specific first-round pick or maybe focusing more on free agency because to attract these guys, you're going to want to look better as a team. So um, before we've got to the next team, their over-under is 32. And I'm going to go over because, you know, this team won 28 games last year. If Russell stays healthy, uh, as you said, they added a lot of NBA rotation-level talent like Davis, Napier, Graham, um, you know, Fareed and Dudley can maybe give them something there. Projected development for Jared Allen, um, you know, maybe more from Hollis Jefferson and Levert, maybe, you know, similar production from Dinwiddie, more availability from Russell. And just the system that they've implemented, um, getting better players to do that, to play in that system, I think will result in, you know, maybe like 33 wins. So I'm going to go on the over. I know I'm actually going to go the same as well, but I'm going to give you some ammunition here. You might want to jot down these numbers for comparison because I will back out on a prediction in a heartbeat. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go with thirties you said thirty I'm gonna go with thirty six. Wow, Corbin going with thirty six. I am writing that down right now. That's why that's why I said it, because I'm gonna be a little bold here, but I do think that they have enough quality players, um, and not quality in the sense of, you know, starting quality, get a couple wins, they're not playing to lose um, and it's an interesting, it's an interesting little assortment of talent here. Ed Davis, Joe Harris on reasonable deals, Shabazz Napier. I'm really high on Travion Graham. You have Kenneth Faree, Jared Dudley. Like their players are not. It's not like oh, we're going to contend for the basement in that sense because yeah, they're not going to be a great team. But I think they have enough solid pieces to go along with Russell and Jared Allen and Ronda Hollis Jefferson that they can make a little bit of noise in the dregs of the East. Yeah, they could, and I, I definitely. I don't think I see 36, though, if things break right. I mean, if, <laughs> I if things break right in the East and teams above them have injuries and, and they perform well and, and they decide not to focus on the draft and, and kind of just want to win as much as possible, then, yeah, 36 could actually happen in this Eastern Conference with this team that has this much depth. So I definitely don't think it's completely out of uh, out of realm. I think that I think we both um, smartly are taking the over. And, you know, we're going to move on to, a, I think, the only team in this division that, that really is kind of, kind of negative and kind of hard to kind of be positive about. And that's the New York Knicks because, I mean, th- this is going to – this. I mean, so their offseason, let's get to it. They added Mario Hazonia, Noah Vonley, drafted Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, and brought in uh, David Fisdale as coach. But really they were focused on one-year deals in free agency to kind of maximize their cap space because New York, you know, even – no matter how bad the team is, will probably always be a free agency destination. Um, so, so a couple of the main storylines that I've identified. The first one, of course, is – how will this team fare without Porzingis? Because he's going to be, you know, out most likely until February um, at the latest. I mean, at the earliest. So that's the majority probably of the season. They're not going to have their best player and all-star level talent. Um, but, you know, a, another kind of smaller storyline is can Mario Hizonia build off of last season? He had a, had a kind of had a quasi breakout in the second half of the year. What is Kevin Knox's role right away? Um, and then really how the young talent develops. And that's especially focused on Frank Nilakina because this team... 
I think will be really, really bad without Porzingis. I mean, especially if they get an injury to guys, a guy like a you know Hardaway or, or maybe Knox or, or Courtney Lee, or if they trade Courtney Lee, that would be killer because they won 29, 29 games last year with Porzingis playing in forty eight of those. You know, does Porzingis even play in forty eight games? I highly, highly doubt it. I think he's probably going to play like twenty five games, maybe. Um, and the fact that they won twenty nine games with Porzingis playing more than half the year. Doesn't bode well for a team that's going to have a very similar roster um, with you know plugins here or there with less Porzingis on the floor. Yeah, I'm with you. It's going to be it's going to be interesting moving forward because with Porzingis, I think this team, the Knicks are a tricky one for me. I think that without Porzingis, they're clearly not going to be making much noise. As you said, it doesn't mean anything because of New York. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a free agent destination nonetheless. However, I do think that we kind of overstate that because, you know, coming from a Lakers fan here, I used to think, you know, for years, hey, it's L.A., you know, we're going we're gonna to get free agents. This is who we are. And used to swing for LeBron and, and Carmelo and then end up having to hope for, you know, DeMar DeRozan or Greg Monroe. So I don't think it's just a, a given. But with Mario Hazonia and other players here, and I'm also high on David Fisdale and his impact moving forward, I think that he will help this Knicks style of play. To, to really set a foundation that when Porzingis comes back, you know, they're going to they're gonna fight, they're going to scrap, and when Porzingis comes back, it's going to raise their floor a little bit. Yeah, and that, that, that's, I guess that's got to be the main, almost only hope for this Knicks team because the mm-hmm. roster is just kind of devoid of talent. I mean, Trey Burke... Notice I didn't mention it. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mention the roster. <laughs> I mean, Trey Burke had some nice moments last year. Emmanuel Mudiay is kind of a lost cause now. He doesn't. He does not contribute to winning at all. Um, maybe they can get more from Tim Hardaway Jr. You know, he only played 57 games last year, 17 and a half points per game. Maybe they can get give the ball to him more, and he can you know create a little bit more for others than himself. Um, that that's probably going to be key, but. Neil Aquina's development, of course, he was he showed a lot of defensive potential last year. Offensively, still a huge work in progress. Um, really can't shoot, really can't score efficiently. Um, but really, on the defensive end, he could become, and, and honestly projects to become, one of the top five defenders at the point guard position for, or even the you know basically the entire backcourt, because with his size and wingspan, he can guard multiple positions. But he projects to be an, an elite defender. Hopefully, the offensive game can you know come around to be at least av- average. Um, but his development is going to be key, especially you know during the doldrums of the season where they're not going to be good at all. Um, Courtney Lee, maybe they ship him off in a trade to get maybe a, a, some kind of asset back. You know, two second round picks or maybe some kind of young player. Um, that might be something that I would look into doing. Um, just to kind of get more opportunities for Kevin Knox, um, Hizonia, just the younger players. Um, Enos Cantor, again, kind of a stopgap because I don't see them, you know, he, he's obviously, he took up his play option, so I don't, I don't see them re-signing him because it's going to use their cap space up. And, you know, obviously I want to see what they can get Mitchell Robinson, who looked pretty good in, in Summer League. Um, so, again, I think that this team really should really focus on just kind of tanking and, and really all about the young talent. I want to give all the opportunities to Neil Aquina, to Knox, to Hizonia, to Robinson. I mean, Hardaway Jr. is still pretty young, and Trey Burke's kind of still young as well, so they can get some opportunities as well. But they're not going to win, so when you're not going to win and you don't have your best player for most of the season, it's all about the young development. It's all about maximizing that first-round pick. And, you know, they can still do that while playing hard and playing smart, but ultimately the the end goal for this team should be getting a top pick and then trying to see what they can do with the cap space in, in summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, with the fact that you did say as far as taking this youth in and taking the flyer on Hazonia and just rolling the young ones out and seeing what happens. You know, do you think Kevin Knox can be a main man for the Knicks moving forward? 
We will find out because he's going to have the ball. Hazonia, you know, with the contract he's been given, low risk, high reward because you got him on a one year, 6.5 million deal. Yeah, it's a cap hit, but it's only there for one year. So if he plays well, you extend him. If not, you know, say la vie. It's no big deal. Um, Jerome Robinson, I mean, Mitchell Robinson, Jerome Robinson. Wow, got those two guys mixed up. Let's not quote that again. I think it's boom or bust because, you know, he could be, in my opinion, one of the best bigs in the draft. I mean, if not, he could just be one of those kind of guys who just kind of is there. But he, he played, in my opinion, really well, especially in summer league. He's raw, but he had some moments. And, and again, to go back to Kevin Knox, he showed just a little bit off the bounce than I remember. I really remember him as more of a not a 3 and D guy, but more of a shooter, you know, slash capable defender, you know, with not a lot of ability off the bounce and not a lot of playmaking creation. But you do know that with David Fisdale, he will be put in positions where he is going to have to create a little bit. He's going to expand his game. I could see him playing more of a Brandon Ingram role in the early, you know, his early years, 2016, 2017, where they let him run point a little bit, knowing that, yes, he's never going to be that type of player. But you can always build those type of abilities or at least hope to develop them to see if there's anything there and if you're on a team with no expectations as you are right now why not showcase the youth see what comes of it you have Christoph Porzingis come back as you said early as February maybe you may just sit him out if you're the Knicks and you're being smart just kind of sit him out this year there's a lot to manage with whether he wants to and all that good stuff but showcase the young guys on the team and then go into free agency with hey we've evaluated our prospects we see who we like moving forward let's go get us a big fish Exactly. That's what, that's really all they should be focusing on is their draft pick and their young development. Um, before we get to the official over-under, I've got a, a different over-under question for you. So what do you think, um, or really, what is, the, what is there a greater number of? New York Knicks wins in the upcoming season or number of reports about Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant wanting to play in New York in, in the summer of 2019? <laughs> I think that will be the type of talk, and you're in New York, you know, that will be the type of talk. Be like you'll be sitting stands going, hey, you think we get a good shot at Kevin Durant? I think I think I'm gonna take the over as far as uh you know free agent predictions to wins ratio. I'm not saying I don't like these players, but this roster is just is just kind of you know it's just there. You know you have Courtney Lee and players like that, but they're kind of declining um declining players. They're serviceable. I could see a couple of those guys possibly be moved in the bio market maybe or or in a trade to a contender. You know, there's a couple of Knicks players I think that that could do that. As far as youth players, we already mentioned Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson. Um, I guess Noah Vonley's there. Um, I guess Ennis Kanter's there. We all know Joe Kim Noah will find himself on the Timberwolves at some point this year. <laughs> um, so, so that's the thing. Ron Baker, I think, still exists. You know, we haven't mentioned Tim Hardaway Jr., but he's there. I mean, I mean, he's there. So. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with the over under on uh, free agent predictions. You know they're going so hard on that. Oh yeah. I mean, listen. I'm going. The, their official over under is 29, and I'm going under that. And I think that there honestly might be more reports of free agency rumors related to the Knicks than there will be of actual wins in the upcoming season. Uh, <laughs> you. I mean, you're probably right. It's, it's 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 the funny thing is that I'm thinking about it and like laughing, but like I'm seriously going hmm. You know, because I'm not – I mean, are you high on, on any particular player on this roster for at least this year? I could be high on Kevin Knox, but I don't have it right now. Frank Nielakina really needs to show me something on the offensive end. I was I was rather shaken by his performance there and looking at the numbers to back it up. I don't really see anything redeeming as of yet. If anything, I really liked what Trey Burke gave me, you know, um, just coming out of nowhere to really get some strong performances last season and that, that really good game they had in the shootout against Kemba Walker and the Hornets. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean Trey Burke was exciting, and you know that, and that's what it'll be. This team will be full of moments of, of exciting um, play from some of their young players and maybe some of their role players and everything like that. But when it comes down to winning basketball games, there's not going to be a whole lot of it with the Knicks, um, and that's why I'm really. If you're tuning into the Knicks, you're tuning in to see Kenny Lakina add more to his offensive game to support his what could be excellent defense at the at, in in the backcourt. Um, Ken Tim Hardaway take on a bigger role and be more available, stay healthy, and maybe provide more um, for the team. Um, what happens to Courtney Lee's situation? Enos Cantor, you know, just gonna, is just going to put up numbers and not really contribute to that much in terms of winning. Um, you know, really, it's just about the young players and then seeing how they manage Porzingis when he's, you know, eventually ready to come back. And, again, it's all about rebuilding. It's all about focusing on that, maximizing your first-round pick, and that's why I'm going with the under on their uh, 29 wins. See, I'm going to have to go on the under as well. I mean, I don't want to be too similar to you, but I'm really just not high on this next roster. You saw when I get behind a team like the Nets, you know, I'll go over a little bit. But I'm going to say, uh, I mean, is it is it too much to say 1567? I want to go under on that note. I oh, want to go. God. <laughs> yeah, I really just don't see. I mean, even players like Courtney Lee and, and, and Cantor, I don't know if they on their own are going to get you a couple of wins. You know, they're good serviceable players. Tim Hardaway Jr., I guess I'm disrespecting him. But Lance Thomas, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with 17 wins. Wow, that's, I'm writing that down right there. That's a bold one. I'm, I, I just, I'm just not high on it. I mean, I guess I should be more, but, like, no. Yeah, I'm going to go with 17. They're just not going to be a good team. There has to be some team that's the worst in the East. <laughs> you know, one of the worst. I'm going to go with the Knicks there. I'm all going right. bold. See me. I'm ready. Listen, I like, I like it. I'm all about bold moves. And uh, let's get to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, yeah. Their offseason main moves was trading for Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala. They got a different trade. Um, that was the OKC Atlanta Carmelo Anthony trade. They re-signed J.J. Redick and Amir Johnson. And then they drafted Zaire Smith, who's out for the year. Another first-round pick out for the year for the Sixers. Um, and Landry Shamit, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Um, so really the storylines that I've identified for the Sixers is the first one continued progression from their young core, i.e. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Obviously they, you know, took the league by storm last year. Um, uh, winning was it 52. Yeah. They won 52 games last year. Um, I think another huge storyline is Markel Fultz. All eyes are going to be on Markel Fultz this season, basically sat out almost all of the year and came back towards the end and, and kind of he forgot how to shoot a basketball. There was the weird reports on what the injury was. They were disclosed. They weren't telling everyone the right information. I mean, just classic Sixers kind of mysterious um, management of injuries. Um, so all eyes on Fultz and his development, obviously, as the f- former number one overall pick. Um, and he can his development and his ability to become a star or just a role player will really really shape up, I think, the, the Sixers' future moving forward and how they can contend with the Celtics, who, as we talked about before, has the draft picks coming in, has the young talent that projects to be all-star level talent for, for years to come. And the Sixers have, obviously, Simmons and Embiid, but they would love to have Fultz become a, a, a trio of all-stars rather than Simmons and Embiid and a role player in Markel Fultz. So that, his development's obviously going to be huge. Um, but really, their offseason was about maintaining their depth and, and the veteran presence on the team while still keeping the cap space open. Obviously, they tried to get LeBron and tried to get Paul George. They swung out and missed on, on, all, on the, the high-level stars. But like you said before, and like almost everyone knows by now, the 2019 free agency class is loaded with you know all types of players, stars and all-stars and all-NBA caliber players, solid starter-level players, solid role players, solid six-men. There's so many players available in free agency, and the fact that they were able to keep up their cap space while maintaining their depth and relying on continued progression from the young core um, 
for the most part, I like the ability that they didn't just spend the money now. They just kind of maximized their future moving forward. But all eyes are going to be on Fultz and, and Simmons and Embiid to kind of take the next step. Oh, yeah. My eyes are going to be somewhere there. More specifically, my eyes are going to be on his jump shot because I really, really want Simmons to get there. Um, if Markel Fultz, like you said, unlocks that potential, remembers how to shoot again, or even just becomes more – well, no, I would say remember how to shoot again. We don't need two um, Ben Simmons. But in the sense of the, the clear pick that he was – I think you unlock a whole new level for the 76ers that they didn't really have. They kind of went through a lot. Brett Brown really went and got the most out of his players. Um, the Timberwolves this past season ranked in the top three in assists per game. Um, they were they were second only to the Warriors in that respect at 27.1. And they were in the top three in defensive rating at 102. So, you know, and you can kind of see the way that Brett Brown plays. It's pace, space, and, and really, you know, defend your tail off. That's how they, that's how they work. So you kind of need the space you already have the pace ben simmons is great and markel Fultz will do the same i'm sure i have no doubt of confidence that ability to get there and really keep the floor going up joel and b gets up and down the floor really well um defending they were a very stout defensive team but they really need that space on shooters um they were ninth in offensive rating and when they had covington and b sarich um, 260 points which is great but it's just so weird that their shooting was really pretty rough Mark, you already mentioned Markel Fultz. Covington is okay. Simmons didn't shoot. Joel Embiid, no a lack of attempts of getting them up, but I think he shot 31% from three, if I remember. So it wasn't like it was it was really efficient. I think that's still below league average. So, you know, if, if you really had, you know, all, capable offensive – no, not capable offensive players. Capable shooters outside of a J.J. Redick. And last year, Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova, both of whom are gone now, then I think you just make him so much better. Um, Wilson Chandler being added, I think, is pretty nice as far as another piece that can really play, can shoot a little bit, gives him more offensive versatility, and, and can make and can make a few threes. I mean, he's not a high-volume three-point shooter in, in a great respect, but I think he shot, what, 39%? I have to check that again. 30? No, it might have been 35%. 35-36% from three. You have to correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Um... Yeah. But he's he yeah he, he was 30, 35.8, so okay. yeah, 36%. Got you. But that's another I mean, I think with Philadelphia, you you a storyline for me, as you already mentioned, is internal development from their youth, from that roster there, adding more shooting or finding more shooting. Because I don't think it's gonna hurt you in the regular season. In fact, I'm pretty sure it won't, based off the style of play Philadelphia's already had. And it might not even get you in the first round of the playoffs, but come the second and third round when teams can really capitalize on it, you need to have at least some spacing ability there. JJ Reddick is still very good, well conditioned athlete, but he is thirty four there. Um Mark Fultz you already mentioned Simmons has already been kind of thrown about there. And also, I mean, I don't know how the – this is another little minor storyline for me, but hopefully the 76 final GM. I don't know if that's happened. <laughs> I just missed it. That's kind of something that you'd like to do moving forward, especially, you know, with, with different moves and everything going on. I'm glad they, that, did, that they did extend Brett Brown's contract because he's really had to go through so much since 2013, man. He oh, my god, He really has. But, yeah, it would be nice for a team entering a uh, huge, potentially franchise-deciding de- uh, free agency period to actually have a GM um, to, um, make, to make decisions on, on the maybe? roster. Maybe? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It'd be nice. Yeah, so uh, – and there were reports that they're starting interviews, which I don't know what's been happening over the summer. Maybe they, they took, like, <laughs> right? two-month vacations. but um, They took the break we took. Yeah, exactly. Even longer. Oh, yes, um, sir. <laughs> but, yeah, so yeah, talking about the shooting, and it's interesting because as a team – 
the shooting statistics aren't terrible. They play, they rank 12th in attempts per game at basically they shot 30 att- three-point attempts per game and they ranked 11th in three-point percentage. I mean sorry, 10th in three-point percentage, hitting 37% of those 30 attempts. Those are good numbers, but you look, at, you know, deeper than that. And you look at the attempts where they're coming from. They're coming from Robert Covington, who attempted seven threes per game last year, shot 37%. We obviously know he can be very flaky. I mean, one week he's shooting 45% on threes, the next week he's shooting 20% on threes. Um, So maybe more consistency from his shot. J.J. Redick is J.J. Redick, 42% on 6.6 attempts, one of, um, if not the most valuable shooter in the NBA right now. But then you look at Bellinelli, who came in, played 28 games for this team, and attempted 5.3 threes per game and hit 38.5% of those threes. He's gone. Um, Saric hit 39% of his five attempts per three. Does he continue shooting that well, or does he take a little bit of a, of a dip? Um, Ilyasova um, shot 36% on you know 3.6 attempts per game. He's obviously gone as well. Um, Embiid maybe does Embiid increase his volume of attempts, or does he improve his percentage? He only shot he shot below 31% last year after he shot uh, over 36% in his rookie year. So again, like you said, the the floor spacing can be a concern with this team, especially, obviously, Ben Simmons, complete non-shooter, um, and, B- and Bede. People guard him on the perimeter, but he's going to have to start hitting more of those threes. Um, Covington, very flaky. Wilson Chandler is a, a flaky shooter. Um, backups like TJ McConnell are not going to be shooting. Marco Fultz, again, what is his jumper like? If he's not going to be a, an average three-point shooter, again, that cramps the floor spacing, allows teams to kind of trap and, and double team and beat in the post and take away opportunities for Simmons guarding him a little bit looser on the perimeter of course so yes I think that spacing will be a big issue for this team again like you said maybe not in the regular season um, but in the playoffs we can see it come back to bite them um, and kind of cramp up their offense they had the 11th best offense overall last season can they improve on that end with the limited shooting I think that you know the next logical step for their offense to improve would be to add more floor spacing and more shooting or just have their guys shoot better you know this upcoming season they were obviously oh, yeah. they were elite defensively they were the third best defense last season a lot of that's because Simmons was a good defender and beads one of the best um, defensive centers in the league of course they've got solid guys like Covington Chan- you know Chandler is a, is a solid if not you know average defender at this point. McConnell's yeah. feisty. What can Fultz give him on defense? Amir Johnson's kind of just like there now. Um, <laughs> Mike Muscala, you're not you're not talking about his defense anytime soon, but Sarge nope. can compete on that end of the floor. So I would project their defense to be to continue to be top five, but the question really is, can the offense improve? Because that's where this team can take the next step forward, um, both in terms of regular season wins, but then also the playoff expectations of getting past the second round, where last season in the second round, they had a lot of closed games with the Celtics, but they just could not execute when it mattered most. And they kind of, we saw Simmons, a lot of people say Simmons got exposed. You know, oh, he, yeah. Potentially he opinion. did. They showed how they can guard Simmons. They showed a little bit maybe of that rookie nerves taking over for him in the playoffs. But the offensive improvement is where this team can take the next step and really cement themselves as that top three potential conference finals competitor alongside the Celtics and Raptors, two teams that happen to be in their division. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, you already you already just brought it up just now, but they were had some close games with the Celtics, and the Celtics didn't even have the two superstars that are returning this season. Toronto brought in a superstar from the West, so you know they're going to be tougher. And, yeah, you're, you're trying to win a little more than a first-round series. You know, and, and actually that brings me to another question that I had here, uh, kind of outside the box before we get to the over-unders. But how would you grade, personally, the 76ers offseason? Because I, I think, you know, you, you Brian, um, Jerry Colangelo said, you know, at the end of the year he's leaving. Um, you already lost uh, Mr. Twitter Fingers, Brian Colangelo. Um, that's Mikel Bridges and 
You traded to Phoenix for Zaire Smith, who you've now lost for the season, and that 21, 2021 unprotected first-rounder for Miami, which I, I think could be a great asset, but I do think it's too far ahead, and I'd rather have Mikel Bridges, at least for some shooting there, and, and another wing defender. I don't think you can have enough wings in this NBA. So I think it was more – I don't want to say it was a short-sighted move, but I do think it was a, a, a let's say, an ill-made move. I, I'm just not high on the offseason they made, as well as losing some of their free agents that they had, um, two of their – only shooters in Ilyasova and Bellinelli, not really bringing many back. They made that one trade for, um, I just said, Wilson Chandler, who I like pretty good as far as how he fits. But I'm just not on that 76 offseason in general. What do you think about it from your perspective? Um, I think I might be a little bit higher on it than you are. I think I'd uh-huh. give it, like, if I had to give it a grade, maybe like a B- minus or B. Um, yeah. Because... It really comes down to if Chandler can shoot like he did last year, it adds another quality wing for them, a backup small ball four, backup small forward as well. I think that Mike Muscala could actually carve out a nice role for himself in Philly, kind of replacing Ilyasova. Um, I'm this, sleeping on him, yeah. He, I mean, he, he's, he's a 38% three-point shooter for his career. Last year, he shot 37% on over three attempts per game, which is basically what Ilyasova shot with the Sixers last year. So, again, he can play power forward. He can play center. If Amir Johnson really can't give him much anymore, Muscala could be the backup center. And, of course, he can add more floor spacing. So I think that between the co- combination of Saric and Muscala shooting, you know, above 37, 38% on threes, um, and Redick and Covington and Chandler shooting um, above average on threes, and if Embiid can get back to, you know, at least league average three-point-wise, I think they'll have enough floor spacing to be able to play the way they want to play, which is kind of getting up and down in transition. Um, ben Simmons kind of operating as a, as a kind of mismatch on um, point guard um, for the opposing defenses. So I think that the, the, the most important thing with their offseason was – they didn't strike out on the top guys and just spend money on long-term deals. They only focused on maximizing the 2019 cap space. They got a little bit of shooting. They got another wing in Wilson Chandler. They brought back their veterans for on a one-year deals to continue that continuity, which is always key for a team, especially a young team. Um, so I'm a little bit high on it for you. I didn't love it, but I think I'd give it like a B- minus or a B because they maximized the 2019 cap space. And I think they added enough to replace what they lost um, when you factor in the progression from the young core to still be a top three team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, see, I knew you were going to have a, a lot more of a holistic kind of view to it, all points, a little more rational in that sense. I'm glad, because I was getting a little negative there, thinking, okay, they're a, still a solid team. I'm still going to put them there, but I was definitely a little more down on their offseason moves. But thank you for kind of reassuring me there. Yeah, I mean, and it's tough because, like, sometimes it's like, wow, they won 52 games and they made the second round. It's time for them to really strike. But you look at their team, Embiid's 23, Simmons is, uh, what is he, 21, um, Foles is only 19, or I just think, I think he just turned 20. You know, if he becomes a star player, he, he's still obviously mm-hmm. very young. So it's, I get it. It's like they, they had a great year last year, and it's like, let's strike while the iron is hot. But at the same time, 2019 free agency has even more opportunities to add a player to this core, um, to this team, and the fact that they're able to still maximize that while I think still be a really good team this season based on what they added and what they lost, I think that kind of cancels each other's out. So I think, yeah, just taking more of a holistic review of just saying, like, yes, they can, you know, it's not necessarily striking with the iron top, but it's not necessarily forcing themselves to spend money on long-term deals when the next summer actually gives them more opportunities to add a, a potential star-level player to Simmons and Embiid and, and maybe Fultz. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. I, I think that that's a great way to kind of lead right to the over-unders. Yeah, so um, let's, get, let's get your prediction first. You've been a lot bolder than I have so far. Oh, man. Okay, so, I, man, my thing just refreshed. I forgot the, the it's over-under. It's 54 and a half. Thank you. Wow. Okay, I'm going to go with... Uh, 
It's, it's buggy, but I'm going to go the under. I'm going to go 52. Yeah, I'm actually going under as well. Um, and that's and, and people are saying, oh, they won 52 games last year. You know, just just progression from Embiid and Simmons should be worth a couple of wins. And yeah, I think so. But again, we have to, we have to think about injuries. Um, we have to think about just weird stuff happening. We have to think about you know other competition in the East getting better, like the Raptors, like the Bucks, the Pacers had strong off season. The Wizards, I think, could be a little bit better than people are talking about. So I think I'm going to go with. You know, I think they could win 53 or 54 games, which technically, based on this over/under, would actually be under. So I'm going to go with the under, still maintaining that I think they're going to be a top three team, but I think they'll be in a similar win boat as they were last season. Yeah, I, I do think so. And you also have to account for the fact that yes, that internal development may be all well and good, but you were also you also lost some players that were pretty good from a spacing standpoint, which could make things a little more interesting. So yeah, I, I think so. Plus, there's two teams that one we've already addressed that I think are clearly a, a step above. Yeah, and let's get to that other team that I am super high on. That is the Toronto Raptors. So let it do it. Their offseason, main offseason moves, obviously adding Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green in that trade, giving up DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Podol. Um, and then they re-signed Fred Van Vliet. Um, again, a key. He was finished in the top three of six men of the year, one of the best backup point guards in the league, in my opinion. So some storylines to look at with this Raptors team. First and foremost, Kawhi's health and engagement. Um, how does he respond to being in Toronto? Obviously, this is kind of a potentially a one-year thing where he could leave in free agency next year as an unrestricted free agent. How healthy is he? Can he regain that level of form you know, two years ago when people basically considered him a top four, top five player in the league? And if he does, I think that just adds so much more to the Raptors' ceiling as a team. Um, so that's a, a key storyline, obviously. Number two is Nick Nurse taking over as coach. I mean, because... He's known for his offensive expertise and kind of creativity um, and really was the forefront and the, and the, the main mind behind the offensive kind of um, renovations that they made last year. Um, but he is a rookie head coach taking over for a team that has a lot of pressure on it this year to appease to Kawhi and make sure he wants to stay long term. But then also has the talent on this roster, I think, to be the best team in the Eastern Conference and make the NBA Finals. That's how good I think this roster can be. And, you know, in the playoffs, for a rookie head coach to make these snap decisions, and we obviously know Dwayne Casey wasn't great at kind of playoff adjustments. Will Nick Nurse, you know, to be slow in adjusting to teams within a series? I mean, rookie head coach with a team with these kind of expectations can always be a concern. But then again, he he has the ability to kind of get things interesting offensively. Maybe he's a little bit more takes a more modern approach to building lineups um, that could actually help out this Raptors team throughout the season. Um, and then the third one is really you know this bench. I mean, can their bench mob? continue to kill teams like it did last year because last season their bench had an 8.3 net rating which was tops in the league um again i think that they're going to have enough depth to have such a good bench again this season um but we'll see i mean if they you know different lineups different matchups um how everything works out so those are you know three main storylines that i've got about this team obviously the first two are i think the most important in terms of the rookie head coach nick nurse and Kawhi's health and engagement as he joins the raptors for maybe only one year yeah and I think, obviously, that was the single biggest move this offseason, aside from LeBron going to L.A. Um, free agency. But it, it's really crazy because not only does Kawhi Leonard score, and we already his, his abilities are well-touted, but I'm just going to briefly go over them. Efficient scoring. He doesn't really force anything. Obviously, his defense is just great. His IQ, his effort. I mean, he's one of the players. And Danny Green, too. I think that Toronto made a great move in getting Kawhi and Danny because – you know, you, you bring in players that play for the Spurs and some of them flourish and some don't, you know, because of the Spurs system or the Spurs where, what have you. But I really think, and I think you agree with me, Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, that the way they play and the type of play, obviously Kawhi at a superstar level and Danny Green at a more of a role player type, but 
that 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 type of play can be translated across different teams. Like it's not always going like I'm not concerned at all really about the fit on the court with Kawhi Leonard and any of the Raptors because I think he's still going to play the same basic way that he does. I think the only thing that you really worry about is is off the court only because he he already has one eye you know in the locker room and one eye in 2019 looking to free agency. So how do you really you know take that in the locker room? Also, we know that he's not the 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 most um versed as far as conversation techniques are concerned so you know how's that going to fit in um but yeah this this team man i'm really on them you have players you have depth and, and good play literally at all five positions i think i think that's great quality players great depth uh good three-point shooting because you know that um Kawhi brings it you know that um you have i'm freak oh my goodness i can't believe i'm forgetting the actual guy should be muted for two minutes for there. But you have CJ Miles, you have Norman Powell, you have Serge Ibaka, you have even Jonas Valanciunas has gotten to the active hitting threes, which is great because not only does he that he won't disappear entirely off that end, I mean, defensively, you can still play on the floor, but he also still has that post-up game, which brings some more versatility that way. Um, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, um, DeLon Wright were just great in their secondary roles, and I think they'll even step up now. And what people don't really mention too much is Toronto was the one team that was in the top five in both offensive and defensive mm-hmm. rating last season. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget how good this team was last season. They won yeah. 59 games. They had the third offense and the fifth defense, and they only got better. I mean, th- th- I mean, no matter how much, well, how you feel about DeRozan, I think maybe I'm a little bit more down on him as a star as as, as others are. Um, but Kawhi is clearly a better player. Um, Danny Green fits more in this modern NBA of going small and having three and D wings compared to Jakapoto, who's a nice backup big, but I don't think he's anything more than that. Um, but really, few things excite me more um, when thinking about this upcoming season as thinking of all the juicy lineup possibilities that they have in this oh, Raptors roster, goodness. especially defensively, because you look at their wings, Danny Green, Kawhi, OG Ananobi, does it get any better than that defensively on the wing? I don't think so, on a, on a specific roster. Then you have potential small ball lineups where you move Ibaka to center, or even Pascal Siakam, who can be a terror in transition, who, you know, he can't shoot, but he has the ball, he can create with himself the ball, can create shots for other people, he can find them uh, as a playmaking big, um, very versatile defender. Um, so those are two small ball options. Then you've got some other options of, you know, Lowry, Green, OG, and Kawhi all at the same time on the floor, whether we're with a traditional center or with one of Ibaka or Siakam. Um, it, it could be a deadly lineup because not only does it have the defense, Lowry, a plus defender. Green, still a plus defender at this point. He's falling off, and maybe that's because of injuries or just age. Um, but I think he's still, for the most part, a positive defender. OG Ananobi showed a lot of defensive potential last year. Kawhi, arguably the best perimeter slash wing defender in the league when healthy. Um, and then Ibaka and Siakam can still obviously hold their own defensively at the center position. But then not only that, on the offensive end, it has enough shooting from both Kawhi, Lowry, Green, um, and Ibaka to make up for uh, other guys like OG and Siakam. Or maybe if you really do need more shooting, you can add a CJ Miles in there. You can add a Fred Van Vliet there and go a little bit smaller. Um, there's just so much quality depth there's so much different lineup possibilities i mean we talked about the nets having all those nba rotation guys but let's talk about the raptors with lowry green leonard ibaka valanchunas delon wright 
Fred Van Vliet, CJ Miles, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. Those are 10 NBA rotation level players. And I didn't even mention Norman Powell, who everyone's forgetting about, who had a down year last year, but can still contribute in spurts. And Greg Monroe, if injuries strike, can play and give you some minutes at center, especially in bench bench lineups when you need just go-to buckets from the post. So I wouldn't expect Monroe to have a consistent role. Um, because I think that they're going to use Valanciunas, and then when Valanciunas is off the floor, just do a small ball lineup with, with Siakam or Bach at center. But Monroe and Powell are guys that will probably be um, inconsistent rotation players but contribute when injuries happen or when they need a spark plug uh, off the deep ends of the bench. And so this amount of depth with the high-level talent that's obviously led by Leonard and Lowry um, I think makes this team um, – interesting um i think it has the potential to be the best team in the eastern conference and i I think that it's one of the most exciting teams to watch um this season as as a real competitor for the celtics and a real team that matches up really well with the warriors oh yeah they really do and i you know it's funny i was gonna say another piece that's interesting for Kawhi leonard and some for i mean him to consider if he ever did but the fact that it's really just a testament to the raptors development and drafting these players that og and anobi's already regular starter he's only 21 an all-defense candidate after his only one-season NBA. Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet are only 24. Um, Jonas Valanciunas shot 40.5% from three on one attempt per game last season, only 26, as is DeLon Wright. And Kawhi's never played with that many good, good young players before because he was the, the actual good young player on a variety <laughs> of Spurs teams over the past, you know, six or seven years. So he's surrounded with a lot of firepower. I mean, and, and what's funny is even with all that, defense is going to be their calling card because you got rid of one of the you know, worst defenders on the team in DeMar DeRozan and add one of the best all-ball, on-ball defenders in the entire league. And this to a team that was already fifth in defensive rating last season. I mean, they, they could be... Uh, it's harder to be better than they were last year in terms of, like, their offense and defensive ranks. I mean, maybe their defense... I think their defense is going to be top three so that I can take a jump up. But, I mean... They were so good last season that it's almost hard to see them improving this year. But I think that they actually did enough in the offseason to actually warrant significant improvement both on the regular season and in the playoffs. And that's where it's going to matter most. I mean, this team is just more modern. And hopefully Nick Nurse um, taking over as coach is given the freedom to be more modern and, and kind of explore more modern lineups and more combinations. Um, but removing Potal um, in that trade and getting two wings back instead of a wing and a big, which they traded out in DeRozan and Potal, that allows them to be more modern. It's all about wings in today's NBA. It's all about going small, and they've got the perfect ingredients to make a delicious small ball recipe that can be deadly in the regular season and especially deadly in the playoffs, um, which is why I'm so high on this team's floor and the team's ceiling. Obviously, if Kawhi is either not fully healthy, which all reports are that he's healthy, um, but if he's not as engaged or maybe he's playing a little bit cautious to not get hurt so he can sign a big contract in free agency and leave, you know, that lowers their ceiling and obviously would hurt their floor as a team. But if you get in a, a fully healthy and engaged Kawhi, you maybe get a little bit of a, a, a better improvement from Danny Green because he was suffering from that injury, that groin injury last season. Internal improvement from OG and Siakam and Van Vliet and Wright. Um, maybe more engagement or more modern play from, like you said, Valanciunas hitting more threes, um, Ibaka being more engaged a little bit. Um, this team has the young talent, the role players, the star-level talent, and all the ingredients to be an extremely good modern team on both ends of the floor. Yeah, they really do. I'm really high, on, as you said, on their, on their potential, where they are right now. And and if Kawhi and, and, and um, these other players here just stay healthy, depending on how Nick Nurse really goes, but Kyle Lowry and Kawhi, if they develop some chemistry and obviously they're not going to have the same as Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan did often on the court 
But if they get a, a really good chemistry as the as the two alpha dogs on this team with Kawhi really taking the lead, yes, this could be a scary team. They could set a new franchise record um, as far as wins, and I, in fact, I'm banking on it. I am too, and and the fact that's really interesting is that their over under is fifty five and a half. I mean, they won fifty nine last year, so that's a pretty significant step back before you even consider what kind of off season they had, and that's why I'm slamming the over on this team. Yeah, oh, I'm all, I'm all over it. I want to get yours first, so I kind of temper my takes here. But I, I'm really, we, I'm pounding the over, man. I mean, the Eastern Conference with the kind of quality talent that they have here and the quality depth, as we already mentioned, for a couple of these teams. But this is more top end depth from top to bottom. Yeah, I, I think that this team, this team and the Celtics, that their matchups are going to be incredibly fascinating to watch. I think that this team will win over 60 games. I'll probably go with 61 or something like that. Um, you know, they won 59 last year, so it doesn't seem like, you know, two wins doesn't seem like that much. But when you factor in a new coach and having to integrate, you know, Kawhi and Danny Green to these to this roast roster and, you know, the change of going from DeRozan and Podol to Kawhi and Danny Green and new coach and everything like that, I think that 61, maybe 62 wins is what I'm expecting from this Raptors team. I think that they could actually finish the East. Well, I'm predicting that they're going to finish the East with the best record. And I think that I'm not going to make playoff predictions right now, but I think that they could be a team that... Not enough people are talking about the Raptors as the team to come out of the East to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I'm really kind of, I mean, I, I get being all on the Boston hype train. They're a really good team. They're going to have two guys back that are going to really kind of raise them a little bit. But Toronto, clearly, with the way they were, I mean, look at the way that they were now. You had Toronto first, Boston second, even in spite of all the injuries and what have you. Now you bring in Kawhi Leonard, and you have another year of development from players who were already very good and very young. So we're banking on not only internal development, but also a superstar, Bonafide, that is now in the Eastern Conference. Is he a Le- LeBron level? No, but he could clearly take up that kind of alpha dog. In fact, I'm already going to say the best player in the Eastern Conference just on principle right there. On a very strong team, and if Nick Nurse can kind of overcome some of the in-game strategy foibles that uh, Dwayne Casey had to deal with and can really lead this team with his own kind of style. Uh, yeah, there's not enough people that are talking about it, but they really should. And if they're not now, they will be pretty soon because um, if healthy, this Toronto team can really, really make some noise, just seriously. Exactly. And I like that you brought it up that Kawhi could and most likely will end up being the best team in the East, best player in the East this season because – this NBA, the league is driven by star-level talent. If you have one of those top five players with the kind of supporting cast that the Raptors do around him, but regardless of, of the supporting cast for the most part, if you have a top five player, um, you know, I like the Celtics. They have great guys, but they don't have anyone that I would consider a top ten player, honestly. Um, Kawhi, Kyrie would be closest, but the Raptors have a serious, legit top five player when he's healthy and the supporting cast that makes so much sense in today's modern NBA. So I'll go with like 61 or 62 wins, definitely hitting the over on the Raptors. Yeah, I'm going to go with, you said 62? Um, I'll go with 60. Yeah, I'll go with 62. Okay, you know, I'm going to have to go either one over or one under. I, you know, I want to go with you and say 62. All right. But I, w- I would lean closer to 63. I'm going to go with 62. Yeah, let's give it. Just to get, yeah, 62. Uh, let's go. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I mean, that wraps up the Atlantic Division preview, a, t- a division that arguably I think will have uh, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, which is kind of crazy coming from one division. But then they've even got a team with the Nets that has a lot of depth and can and can grow, and then they've got the New York Knicks. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so, yep. that, <laughs> I mean, that's all I have to say about the Knicks. We already talked about them. They're going to be bad. But this division is going to be really, really good. And the teams that aren't good, especially the Nets, are going to be really interesting. So I think that this, this division – you know, people are obviously talking about it because the two top teams in the East will be coming from this division, and are the top three teams in, in, in most people's minds, um, including the Sixers, will be coming from this division. But this is a, this is division has the potential to be one of, if not the best, in the NBA overall. 
Yeah, it, it's really interesting moving forward about how much talent there is just on the top two as far as Boston and Toronto. But also you have, we, we, like you said, everyone minus New York that has some pieces that could really make some noise. This is this is an intriguing one to really get into. And I'm glad this is the first one that we popped ourselves into to really get ready for this uh, this uh, 94 Feet Report podcast training camp here as we break down these <laughs> division previews. Exactly. And our podcast training camp will continue um, with our next division. We're going to alternate conferences, so we'll pick a division and, and we'll record something later this week. Uh, but we're going to be rolling out these division previews over the next couple of weeks as teams start training camp and then preseason, pre-season gets underway. Um, so make sure to follow us on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Um, you can follow the site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Um, you can check Check out all of our content. We just finished up our team offseason review article series. So there's an article for all 30 teams on their offseason. You can check that out at 94feetreport.com. Um, definitely stay tuned. We've got big things coming for year two of the 94 Feet Report, some rebranding. Not going to say too much, um, but it'll all be unveiled in the coming weeks throughout September. So keep your eyes peeled and definitely be following us on, on Twitter and, and, and Facebook as well to get all of our updates and news. Um, Corbin, where can everyone follow you to make sure they're up to date with what you're doing? Oh, you know, at Corbin Ford NBA, I'm going to be involved in a lot of projects with the 94 Feet Report coming up, as you already stated. I'm very excited for that. Um, at the 94 Feet Report on the Twitter handle, mostly, you know, the funny little jokes that, you know, are kind of dun-dun-dun. That's, that's me. <laughs> but I'm really hoping to pick it up come the season as far as having some stats, having some numbers, reaching out to people, and really getting some feedback and some conversation. It's going to be a big year, y'all. We got we to gotta make sure we're on ta- target with it because we're also expanding to Facebook, um, Instagram. I'm going to really be picking that up. So moving forward really excited to really be a part of this all right yeah so everyone follow the twitter account to engage with corbin and follow all of our other accounts and and us personally to make sure you stay on to date with what we're working on and what the site's working on and of course most importantly as it relates to this podcast the next couple of episodes as we roll out these division previews take care see y'all